Welcome to Conversations with Toy, a blogcast tackling life one episode at a time. This is the time to air out life's craziest moments. This space is all about speaking about life's hang-ups and ways in which we can leave better than when we started. Topics are all about ways we can find space to be better in life, love, mental space and health. Today's episode is brought to you by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move stay ready for anything. From the streets to the peaks, DB's gear is travel tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventurers, and creators. Over the past decade, DB has designed and developed, released and refined the best bags in the market. With DB's patent hookup system, you are able to attach smaller products to your backpack, roller, or tote. I know for me, when I travel, I want to have everything kind of hooked up together so that when I'm going and on the go, everything is together and I feel safe and secure. We are teaming up with DB to exclusively offer our listeners 10% off your next purchase by using the code POD10 or going to the link in our show notes, DB, it's time to move on, time to get going. Happy Friday. I am hoping that you had one of the most amazing weeks ever. This week has been great. I have no complaints. Um, We are going to have a great episode today. So we are talking to Debbie. She is going to give us all of the background information about being a step-parent and as well as being a foster parent. Um, She is a social worker turned attorney. She has all kinds of a laundry and a beautiful laundry list of who she is and the things that she's accomplished. She's written a great book, How to Raise Other People's Children. We're gonna get into that conversation. But because we are talking about step parents, foster care, and all of those wonderful things, if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode, we did talk to another foster care alumni and she gave her experiences and with her amazing book as well. So this is a different um, perspective of that. Um, last week's episode was more the perspective of being a foster uh, child um, and growing up and dealing with the trauma. Now, this is a, a perspective of a foster parent and a step parent. And I would just say I'm going to talk about my own situation with my stepfather my stepfather, I have, I do not refer to him as a step anything unless I'm clarifying for certain situations like this. Um, in life, I will never refer to him as a stepfather. He is my dad and my dad and I have a great relationship. Um, and what I will say is that I was not the best child. So I know that my family are listening. They are like, yes, we all know, but for the audience sake, I was not the best child. When I grew up, when I was growing up, I was under the assumption that my stepfather was my biological father. And I remember my parents giving me some paperwork to take to school and me being uh, inquisitive, as I would like to call myself now. But back then and even now, I was a very nosy kid. So I was going, I would just be finding my nose into all kinds of things. If it was something, I was going to find it out. In the midst of being that type of child, 
I then discovered that my um, stepfather was not my biological father. And I believe up until that point that our relationship was pretty good until I found that out. So I was a kid that at the moment didn't last too long. But for the amount of time that it lasted, I was the kid that was then acting out, um, showing out, having these bad behaviors, getting into things. Um, I would be the kid that my mom would say, don't. And I would be like, that's a green light for do. Let's go do. Um, so I got in trouble a lot. Okay. I was, I wasn't a bad kid, but I got into a lot of trouble and my parents had to cut that back and get me back into line to where, again, I had to understand that I couldn't just act out just because of the information, the news that I had found out. Um, at the time, I didn't know that. I, I, of course, you know, wanted to do all of the things that I wanted to do. I, of course, knew more than any adult and child. So I acted out. And the relationship between my parents and I have not always been great. Um, our relationship has not always been perfect. There is no real relationship that is. But I will say that it was been extremely trying. And I'll say that a lot of it was on my side with as being a kid who I was extremely smart. I've been pretty much getting straight A's since I was basically in second grade. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's true. I was a very overachiever and intelligently book smart. But when it came to life, when it came to using common sense, when it came to doing things the way that needed to be done, I was just not that kid. So I was not that kid. And we grew up in a church where, again, my life really changed when we went to our church. I'll say for two reasons, and I've talked about being a PK many times, but my parents, if I could go back, I would want to have my parents be the parents that they are now the way that I was when I was a kid, but also put parameters. Like I wanted to have the freedom to meet new friends and do certain things. But when you're in a church that is mostly, um, it was non-denominational. So I grew up when I was very, very young as a Baptist. Then I went to this, you know, my home, my home kid church when I was younger. And this was like the basis of my entire young from 10 years old up until adulthood. That time is very, very special for a young lady. And there are certain things that young ladies should be able to do and learn. And I just didn't have that. And to be honest with you, a part of the character that I had at the time um, just didn't align with being a good person all the way around. Like I had good traits. I was very smart. I was getting good grades. I would never get in trouble in school. I would get in various troubles at home, but nothing that was like out of pocket. It wasn't like I was, you know, boy crazy. It wasn't like I was stealing anything. I wasn't doing all those things. But again, dealing with, I think for me, it was just this gut wrenching. And this is probably the first time I've actually said this. This was like a gut wrenching time for me to discover that my, my dad wasn't my dad. Um, you know, on paper, like I honestly thought he was my dad, because he was the only man that I could remember that I was around for longer periods of time. And again, we met when I was maybe four or five. So once you become, you know, a five year old, you know, your memory becomes really um, set. And so I just assumed that everything was everything. Um, there were parts of that of growing up with my dad being my stepdad that I didn't realize was problematic for me until I became an adult. I would say until I became a parent, you know, 
his family is my dad's family has been um, welcoming at moments, but there were times when I just didn't feel that same welcoming. And I also and I've said this, and I know that there are going to people from his side of the family that may not feel the same way. But this has been my personal experience, is that when you are a stepchild, people who are you're walking into this relationship, they have the opportunity to either time in high five you in and, and then decide when they don't want to. Now, I'm not saying generally there were people that were just like really cold and callous, but I've had experiences that were not loving. I've had experiences that have left marks on me as an adult. And it's largely the way it helps me to parent my own children. It helps me to make sure that my children don't miss a beat when it comes to um, lacking things. But also, it also makes me be a little bit more real with them to let them know that this world is really cold and calculating. And to then protect themselves by knowing who their people are. Um, when I was growing up, you know, back in, you know, I'm, I'm an 80s baby. There was no disrespectful behavior. I think now we're living in a time where we're being a more, um, what's the word? You have exceptions where you're not giving people passages because of their age and stage. When I grew up, it didn't matter that aunt so-and-so was the worst person in the whole world. It didn't matter if uncle so-and-so or cousin so-and-so was problematic. If they, you know, if they were, you know, didn't respect your personal space, if they made you hug someone because they were their title, if they were bad and were inconsistent, and then you still had to put up with that. That is not the way that life is right now. More parents are teaching their children like I am that you're allowed to basically, you know, recognize people's bad behavior and make the decision on whether or not you choose to be around them. I've always taught my kids to respect everyone, but there are times when people are not allowed to disrespect them. And let me be clear with that, because this whole th thought process is going to set a lot of people probably left. I am not telling my kids that as children, they can go around talking about you're an adult, you need to respect me. That is not it. I tell my children to watch how people talk to you and watch the things that they do. If you have an adult that's in your life that's telling you one thing, but it's not aligning up with their with their actions, be aware that you need to mentally and emotionally mark them. And that means be aware of the, what they're able to give and what they're not able to give. So you can't depend on someone. Don't put them in a, in a position of dependency when you know that they're not going to be there. Learn to know who's in your circle. Everybody's circle looks different. And it would be great to say that the grandparent is, is, is in the circle. It'd be great to say that the aunt is in the circle, but that's not always the the case. So I've been teaching my children to understand their people who are the people that they can depend on, who are the people that are going to be there for them when they say that they are who's shown you by their behaviors and by their actions that they're going to align. Because those are the things that matter. It's not what somebody says it's what someone does. And I mirror that as well. I've had situations with people who have said one thing and they've done another and I have done the due diligence to then separate myself out because we are accountable for how we treat ourselves and we're also accountable how we allow other people to treat us and I've been taking that to heart and I will say that it takes a lot of therapy in place to know that are you doing something malicious because you want to get back at someone because they didn't do or is it because there's a true pattern of who they are those are the things that I have been doing and been applying that to my own personal life and then making sure that I apply that to my children so that they can attempt to be the most well-adjusted adult that they possibly can uh, my traumas of dealing with my own you know issues with my stepfather slash being my dad because my relationship with my biological father does not exist. So my relationship with my biological 
father does not exist. Um, I think that's a personal situation. I, as a kid, used to have this over fantasized thought process that when I became an adult that I was going to be able to control being able to see him, meet him and do all those things. I have been putting more energy into trying to establish a relationship with someone, i.e. my um, biological father who has not met me halfway. Um, I found out that he lives in the in my town that I was born in. I have talked to his side of the family, which is technically my side, meaning his siblings, um, his other children. He has other children. I've done all of those things. And it's not one time that he did not meet me. Um, I grew up in a small town in, in Youngstown, Ohio. He Everybody knows everybody when a different car comes up on the block that it does not belong. It's one of those towns where everybody knows who is what and where. Um, I'm trying to determine now being that I'm 40 years old, being that I'm becoming more adjusted in my emotional life and my mental wellness, if, if it's still worthy or even worth me extending myself even further, because I know for myself that I have done the due justice of trying to meet him halfway, but I can't make someone come and meet me at that halfway part. But I will say with therapy, I have at least known that I've done all that I can from the different conversations that I've talked to from family members, again, because this is my family as well. um, It's like almost like I'm not going to get the response that my childhood, the little girl inside of me wanted. And so I'm learning to adjust that and move on and move forward with my life at the end of the day. Um, because my biological father hasn't done anything for me. Um, I don't know. There's nothing that he can give me. It's just a chapter that I need that I feel I need to close. And I'm going to get there within the next year or so. And the reason why I'm putting a time limit on it is that I am open to anything because I'm not going to close myself off to it. But for my own protection, for my own mental um, and self wellness, I am going to do what I can to protect myself. I've talked to his children. Again, these are my half siblings. And I know that the decision that I'm making is a decision that makes sense for me. There are going to be people that are hearing this and going to say that, no, you should try harder and you should do and you should do. I am firmly believe about where I am as a 40 year old young woman um, that a grown woman at that, that whatever I'm choosing to do for my self-care is enough. If I say I don't want to pursue it anymore, then that's that's it. If I say I want to pursue it and I take that on, then that's a decision that I want to make or don't want to make. So I am very sure about that. But step parents get a bad rep because they're coming into a situation. And for me, again, I was open and receptive to the, uh, the reception because I thought that he was my dad, but he wasn't. And our relationship has healed from that trauma of thinking that he was and he's not. But I will say this. My dad, which again is my stepdad, he has been 100, a thousand percent has always pushed for me to have a relationship with my biological father. He has never stood in the way. He never thought or he has never expressed to me that it was a reflection of him that I didn't that I was rejecting him because I might have won a relationship with my father or my 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 biological dad. It's never come up as far as just not coming up. He, he and I have had strong conversations about that so that I would be clear when I went when I turned 18 and started the pursuit of trying to find out who he was he told me anything I needed he would make sure that I had it that to me is a a making of an amazing 
um, stepfather. There's nothing I could do to take that from him. I don't care what ups and downs that our relationship has had. Um, no matter what has transpired in the past, I will never be able to take that from him. So as we talk about stepfathers and step parents and parenting, understand that I've learned since I've gotten older, a little bit wiser, experienced life a little bit, because only at 40, I feel like I'm just starting to realize myself and come into my own skin and love the person that I have become. I've gotten to the point where I can say that. And I've gotten to the point where I can realize the boundaries that need to be placed. And I will say that I've learned that family is who you make it to be. When there are times when I feel like I'm lacking something, I always know that I feel like God is always replacing or at least putting not necessarily replacing, but putting something else in its place. When I moved here to Philadelphia and I didn't have the same level of relationships with people, when I moved to Philadelphia and I felt like I didn't have a village, I had to open my eyes to learning to look at what a new village would look like. It didn't look like parents and grandparents. It didn't look like best friends. It didn't look like whatever it was. I never lacked in any of the feelings that I've had. I've never lacked anything when I started to open my eyes to who was around me and who my tribe was, who my people were. And that's what keeps me grounded. That's what keeps me safe. That's what keeps me sound. That's what keeps me excited about life. That's what keeps me to become a better parent, to realize and teach them to learn at an early age who their circle is and to teach them that because that's going to be lessons that's going to carry them through college, that's going to carry them through adulthood because they're going to learn that waves of life are going to change all the time. And so I just want to say that as we listen to Debbie and she talks about being a foster mom and talking about being a step parent. Not all step parents are this worst, horrible thing. And they're not these, every step parent isn't this worst, horrible situation. And that is only because of, you know, the way that I feel about it. Um, I will say that there are bad step parents. There are parents that are only caring about making sure that they are in their, their spouse's life. They care nothing about the children. They have all these different issues. They don't really um, show that love that that child may need, or there may be issues that are coming from both sides. All I'm saying is, is that everybody's situation with a step parent is situational. Some people have great situations and some people do not. My situation with my father is very uplifting, but there were things that happened within parenting period that weren't great. I also know that as a child, there were things that I put out that wasn't great. So again, I can say that now, if you would have asked me that at 21, if you would have asked me the same question, or we would have had this same conversation at 22, I was an angry 21 year old. I was an angry 22 year old and not even realizing that I was angered, not even realizing that I had trauma. Like I didn't realize what trauma was. You don't know what it is until you start to hear things like now people are talking about mental wellness. People are talking about self-care. These are things I never heard of growing up. I didn't hear that when I was in college about taking breaks and learning to put boundaries. So I just felt like I was just supposed to do anything and everything that was going down. Like I didn't have that self-discipline that I have now at 40 that I had 20 years ago. And I think that's all about growth. I know I can look down at the child that I was. There's things that you grow into that you mold yourself into that you live yourself through that I didn't have that. So be open to the conversation that we're talking about step parenting. We're talking about foster care, which is not easy. Everybody is not given to be a foster care mother or a foster care 
father. It's just not. If your heart is not in it, it's not a check. These kids are not just a check. These kids are going through real life situations. If you're not in a situation where you're strong and you're mentally capable and you're emotionally sound, you should probably not be a foster parent or a step parent. You really should not. This is a this is a ministry as far as I'm looking at it. It, it needs to be a lot stronger. You got to be strong enough to be able to deal with the ups and downs of dealing with a foster child. They are coming from their own trauma. They have been pulled from their home for whatever the reasons are. And now they're basically bumping around the system, to be honest with you. No one wants to be, there's not a person alive that wants to be in an unstable, unstable relationship at all. Everybody needs stability, but the road and the path to stability may not always be paved in in the most beautiful light. So thank you, Debbie, for coming in and talking with us. And let's get right into the episode. All right. Thank you. Conversations with Toy uh, Community. I always say community. Um, I don't consider myself to be the leader. We are all working together to become our better selves. But with today, we have a special treat. We have Debbie uh, Osborne, and she is a social worker turned lawyer who has worked with several youth uh, serving organizations for more than 40 years, which is amazing in itself. She started in her teen. She has served as a camp counselor, juvenile court probation officer, a group home parent, a criminal prosecutor of crimes against children and litigation attorney, all of the things. So we have her here. She's going to introduce herself the way she wants to. We're going to talk about her journey, the things that she's learned and things she's bringing to the table. She has a book. We're going to discuss that. So go ahead, Debbie, take it away. Thank you very much. Um, As you said, I'm a social worker turned lawyer. Being a lawyer is how I make my living. But what I do with my life is help raise other people's kids. And that has been the um, most challenging and most rewarding thing that I've ever done is um, in my personal life, um, helping kids deal with trauma. And that's a lot. Um, I think everyone, in my opinion, so let me just say this before, let me put this disclaimer out real quick before we continue. One is that this conversation may... Um, evoke an emotion in you that if you've ever dealt with childhood trauma, not that we're going deep into it, but if you've dealt with childhood trauma, this would be an episode to listen to, but it also could be triggerish in a way just from talking about um, even mentioning the word childhood trauma. So I just want to put that disclaimer out. Remember, we are not uh, licensed counselors or anything of that sort. We are just here talking from our own personal experiences. So I just want to say that before we continue, what has been I don't even think you can summarize childhood drama or trauma, I should say, in a word or a phrase, but what's been like the underlying, what do you believe is the underlying issue for childhood trauma? All the kids that I have dealt with, um, it has been the disruption of their biological family. And the, um, the, the, the foster kids, of course, we know they lost their family um, in, because of abuse or neglect or something else that the state considered very severe. But even then, they wanted to go back to their biological parents. There is that tie there. With my stepkids, I realized that even though they are great kids, even though they they had two parents who loved them and cared about them, um, and even though it's all too common a situation, 
losing a, a, an intact biological family due to divorce carries its own level of trauma. And I think we tend to overlook that because we as adults want to say to ourselves, the kids will be fine. They're resilient. They'll be okay. And um, as step parents, we want to come in and be wonderful and fix everything and um, and replace the, the parents uh, that, that uh, obviously we, we think our spouses did much better by marrying us. Right. And so there's, there's a real tendency for us to, to try to come in and discount that trauma that our kids have been through. Has there been anything where you have, in your experience, because you have been a foster parent, has there been anything that you have tried that may have worked? And what are the things that you tried that maybe didn't work when you were trying well, to bring somebody else into your home and try to welcome them into your space? Well, the, the, the things that didn't work was to try to be very upbeat and say everything's going to be okay and and give words of encouragement and affirmation. Um, those are important, but they are not sufficient. And the mistake we often make is to think that we can um, cover over um, or at least deal with trauma just with what we say. The most important thing with our kids is we have to be patient, we have to give them time, and we have to demonstrate to them that, um, that we are going to be there. And, and when they push against us, when they push the boundaries, when they test us, we have to learn how to, to stand our ground and, and still be there. So um, I, I think probably the best um, example of this that I can give is uh, my youngest stepson. When, when I first married my husband, we spent the first few years with my youngest stepson. He was always worried. Every time I took a business trip, he was worried that I wasn't going to come back. He was convinced that um, my relationship with his dad was not going to last any longer than, than his dad's relationships with other girlfriends. And gradually he, he, um, that, that phased out. And I asked him uh, one time a few years ago why he quit worrying about that. And he stopped and thought about it. And he said, well, you're still here. And that's the best thing we can do for kids is for them to look back and say, well, you're still here. That is a hard concept for kids to understand, especially yes. someone who has had a consistent, if the adults around them has always mirrored and modeled really bad behavior, if they're not showing up when they say they're not, that they're going to show up. Um, I, and I, and I wanted to let the crowd, you know, my audience know too, that I have worked with a lot of children and youth um, or kids in foster care because their biggest thing is if you say one thing and you do something else, it's one of the first things that will trigger, in my opinion, one of the one of the very first things that will trigger a, a, someone in foster care or someone dealing with childhood trauma, it will trigger them to no, to a really bad place because they're used to that you, you, someone of failing them. And then when you're saying, oh, I'm going to be there, don't worry, I got this, everything's going to be okay. How do you deal with that? Because there's sometimes you intend to do certain things to be there for someone, but there's other areas like judges who may come in and say, you can't do certain things. How does that work? Because I know there's a lot of kids who get really upset because they only see the one adult that says they're not going to do something, but they may not know the full picture. 
Well, to some extent, you just have to not overpromise. You, you just have to say, I, I will be here as long as I can. And right. um, and if there are, are serious boundaries that, um, that that will get a kid kicked out of the house, for example, right. um, we need to tell them that up front. We need to say, I, I am here for you as long as you don't do drugs, you don't torture my dog, you don't uh, attack me. Uh, whatever those those big boundaries are, um, and most of the time with kids, they don't really know what it is that gets them moved from one place to the other, and they don't really understand why their parents broke. It depends on the age. Younger kids just don't really understand why their parents broke up, but right. kids who've been through the foster care system, they they don't they don't really know. They come up with an explanation in their head, and it, it may or may not be accurate. Um, the other thing that happens with, with kids after a while they've been in the system, they know how to make you kick them out. Yes. They know exactly how to test you and how to find your buttons. And when you say you can stay here as, as long as you follow the rules or as long as you want, then something, it may not even be conscious, it may just be subconscious, but, but something in the back part of their brain says, Okay, now now I know how I can um, get out of how here. I can prove that I'm right that nobody cares about me. Right, and I've had that experience. I had a um, young lady that she did everything she could to get kicked out because she just wanted to go. Like in her mind, she was saying that she wanted to go somewhere else. So in her thought process, she got kicked out here. They would have no choice but to put her at this dream spot that she wanted to be at. Um, right. It usually doesn't work that way. Negative behavior yeah. does not get you at the dream place that you want to be. And whatever that is for whatever, whatever that was for her, but that was her goal, like to literally get kicked out in her mind so she can go to this next place. It right. never happened, but that was her thought process of I'm going to do this to get here. Right. Right. And, and I, I've had runaways um, and, and, you know, runaways run away because there's always something, some nirvana just over the horizon and they're sure it's there and right. they, they don't understand that the things that cause them problems are the things that they're taking with them. Now, are you, how familiar with, are you with, do you have any of them that you've watched grow up because you know, not all foster um, kids suffer this great, horrible life. They grow up to be some amazing people. But do you believe that anybody, especially anyone who's dealt with trauma, not necessarily foster care related or foster care related, could to can do with like good therapy or anything like that to deal with that trauma? What's I wouldn't say anyone can. Sometimes the trauma is just too great and um, kids have to grow up the, the that prefrontal cortex the brain has to fully develop right. before they have enough skills to even begin to deal with the trauma um there the the two kids that that i had that were long-term they didn't live with me at the same time um one of them was a runaway who kind of came back and forth um those are two of of the uh, the seven kids i i joke that i've never had biological kids but i have collected seven children and 10 grandchildren and five of those children are my stepchildren and two are the um, now adult long-term kids that, that okay. I had. And um, yes, those I've watched grow up and it, it has, it has been um, 
really exciting to watch them. Um, some of them have had some some bumps in the road. None of us ever has a a, a perfect trajectory. No, not learn. at all. Um, right, but um, and and again, different kids have dealt with the trauma in different ways. It, it has affected them differently. Um, that's one thing we have to realize is that that impact can can differ with with the child and um, how they react to it, and um, so it it it's it's just all over the board. I know it is possible to learn to overcome the trauma and move forward. And then some kids just, um, I, I liken it to that they find themselves at the bottom of a well and, and there are plenty of adults standing at the top, lowering down ropes. Some of them may not be completely at the bottom, but right. a lot of, of well-meaning adults who are trying. And the child just goes with their instinct, which is to just keep digging the hole deeper. Let's talk about your book the and what First of all, the process that it took for you to write this book, what was your goal um, for the book itself? Well, I wrote the book. Um, the, the, the process was I just spent a, a lot of time thinking about things and talking um, to friends who were going through the, the same kind of experiences I had gone through. Most of them were step parents and they, they found themselves in a situation of, wait, where where did this happen? Um, when, when did, where did this come from? And I, I realized in looking back that I had, had avoided a lot of the mistakes they were making because I had done foster care and I had made a lot of my mistakes there. Right. So by, by the time I became a stepmother, I, I had already learned how to raise other people's children. And so um, the, the, the book sort of came out of those experiences and realizing that, that I, my children have taught me a lot of lessons and I just wanted to, uh, to pass on those lessons and, and to encourage step parents. And um, as I like to say that, that um, if, if a um, left brain, logical, impatient, empathy challenged lawyer can develop a good relationship with stepkids, then, then anyone can do it. Right. And what do you believe is the one mistake? And this could be helpful to a parent that may be listening. Cause you know, again, as a parent myself, I always tell my own kids, I don't always know the answers. So what are some of the tips that you believe that even parents of kids because, you, you know, I always believe that people come in and they have different eyesights. They're viewing things differently. Mm -hmm. Someone who may not have biological kids may be a great asset to look at. They can see things that as a biological parent, we may not be noticing. So what are some tips that you want to give to a parent that may be listening? I would say the most important thing, the lesson that, that, that I would give um, parents of, of either biological kids or, or, or um, stepkids is that that children are much more than the sum of their trauma. Mm -hmm. And that if we let them um, be victims and, and or think of themselves as victims, that we are doing them a terrible, terrible disservice. Um, and that's very countercultural right now because kids are kind of growing up thinking, as one of my foster kids said, um, I have enough victim points to get into college without good grades. Mm -hmm. 
um, I just have to write an essay laying out all my victim points. Yes. And, and, oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> and, and that was, I, I, I couldn't tell her she was wrong, but, wrong. but by counting up victim points, she was not moving past her trauma. And I think as, as parents, we, we have to understand where our kids are coming from. And we have to understand that sometimes they can't do things, but at the same time, we can expect great things of them. And part of that includes um, taking one step at a time and, and moving past whatever victimization they have suffered. And so um, we, we, we can't ignore it. We have to acknowledge it. But too often we just stop there and acknowledge all the terrible things our kids have been through. And we don't move to the next step, which is empowering them in knowing how to deal with it. Right. And what is, what are, what is the one way you feel that maybe there's a child that was in foster care? How, how are they able to necessarily, not necessarily put their lives back? We always say this concept of putting our lives uh, back yeah. together. I've always been a, a believer that sometimes you can't always go back and you can't go back and fix those things. Yeah. So how do you go forward and putting your life together forwardly without having you because you can't go back you can't compensate for maybe neglect and abuse that a parent gave because those are choices that were made from an adult standpoint that as a child you weren't able to control so how do you put yourself together where you can move forward in your life well resilience is a as an area that has fascinated me because I have dealt with so many mean kids of trauma. And, and you're right. There is no going back. That is what a lot of times kids, when they age out of the system and they, they go back to their family Yes, and it, it, it doesn't work um, for a lot of reasons. And what I have found with, with resilience studies, um, uh, the, some of the most important things um is of course support from your family, but you can't control that. But the one other thing that, that helps outside the family is mentors and adults um, who are not related to you, who will pour themselves into you, to, to the kids' lives and, and be there for them to some degree or another. And um, that's mentors, it can be teachers, it can be coaches, it can be um, scout leaders, just any number of places that um, the kids can find adults who will help them. And that's really hard for kids who've suffered trauma to do is to learn to trust adults. But yeah. that's probably the best thing that the kids can do is find someone that they that they can trust to care about them to whatever degree and then listen to them and um, rely on that guidance instead of just ignoring it and continuing to rely on their own instincts. And what are some of the things that if there's someone who's listening who may not have the ability or may not even want the desire to have biological children, because we have this concept that people want to have their own children. They may not. I have several friends who just or not, that's not what they want at all. But they're my biological clock never went off. So it, it never bothered me that I didn't. Yeah, have we kids. put this expectation that, you know, our supposed clocks are, are just ticking away. And that may not necessarily be the case, like you said, but what is the process? What would make someone that if they wanted to change 
their lifestyle right now? What would they be able to do to make themselves, you know, a, a better foster parent? Because we know that the foster parents um, going through that, you there's a lot of things that you are check marks and checklists and things requirements that are going to be required of you that somebody may just want the desire to foster, but don't have any clue about the things they may need to fix, get in line. And what is that like? Well, I would say the first thing to do is to talk to experienced foster parents. And if you have the ability in your community or your church or um, uh, even through the, the foster care agency, just talk to um, experienced parents and, and walk alongside them to some degree. Um, think of it as an internship. Okay. because you need to dip your toe into the water and get yourself emotionally prepared and get the skill set um, together. I, you need to decide how much commitment you can make. Um, you know, we, we have to be committed to these kids, but, but healthy relationships and healthy commitments always have boundaries. So you need to figure that out. But, you know, there are some boundaries that we don't even, we don't even think about with kids um, but experienced foster parents will tell you, oh, you need to decide, can you put up with a runaway? Um, if, if a kid runs away from your home, are you willing to take them back? Um, if you have dogs or, or pets, um, what are you willing to tolerate with, with um, letting the kids uh, take care of the pets? Or, or So a lot of those issues that, that you wouldn't even think about, but experienced foster parents can help you with. The um, next thing I would say is that you, you can talk to a foster, uh, foster care agency. Um, start out as, as a respite care or emergency care uh, home, which is short term, uh, particularly emergency care. It's, it may be just one night. It may be three days. It may be a week, but it's, it's just until they can find a long-term placement for this, this child. And your job, it, it's very limited. And it's a, a very good way to wait in the shallow end of the pool b before you jump in. So um, just different ways to, to find out what the heck the job entails. Um, and then learn from experienced foster parents through, um, there's a lot of Facebook groups that are very good. If you go on there, you'll hear a lot of what do I do about this kid drawing on the walls or any number of other things. Um, and, and there are um, a lot of good books out there that you can look into too. Okay. That's great. Cause like I said, you may not, somebody listening might be like, yeah, I'm going to be a foster parent and then have zero clue on what it's going to take to be a foster parent. Cause it sounds great, right? You're like, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to help them. And, and I'm going to just be so positive. Like you were talking, I'm going to be so positive. I'm going to help them. Right. Right. And it's like, uh, it's way more than that. Like you're going to have a culture shock this first day <laughs> that you yes. have situation happened literally the first day. Sure. It's going and to it takes a, it takes a lot longer than the Mark Wahlberg movie did <laughs> yes. to establish yes. a relationship with the kids. Right. Because you have to understand they have all kinds of things that they're bringing in. They may have had several uh, foster homes that they've come from or group homes. Um, people don't even consider, they don't think that there are kids that are in group homes and they're mm -hmm. going from a group home to a foster home or vice versa. And it's, it's not as easy as it sounds. So that's why yeah. I always kind of just put that out there. Cause you know, somebody would be like, yes, this is me. This is what I'm supposed to do. And then 
get in it and first day be ready to count it all out and be like ready to pack a kid up because right. it can be challenging. It can be. And, it, and, and the, uh, you know, I, I didn't expect this. I, I found myself in that situation a lot. And, uh, and understand, I, I came from it having been a social worker first. Right, so that's right. I, I didn't have a, as many illusions as a lot of people have, but, <laughs> but, but even I um, had my limits. And, and one other thing I will say is, is figure out what age kids you can deal with. Um, I, I am much better with older kids and teenagers. Um, babies are a complete mystery to me. They're adorable and they're sweet, but... Um, I, I told my brother and sister about their kids. I said, you know, yeah, your kids are until they can argue with me, they are just not interesting. And so, <laughs> right, know your limits. Know your limits. That's right. Know, know your limits. I would even now. I would be a terrible placement for a baby because I, I get in my own head and start working on things. And two hours later, I think, oh yeah, I haven't heard the baby in a while. Hold on, right, I need, need to, to check on them. Right? They, do they need to be changed? What's happening? That's right. Yeah, that's a lot of, I mean, babies are a lot of work. <laughs> they are a lot of work. At they least are. with an older kid, they can kind of sort of entertain themselves too, to a certain degree. So yeah, I, And they'll let you know when they're hungry. <laughs> right. And I get so. a sandwich. It's really simple. That's right. With you being a social worker and then jumping, you know, to the foster care system, what was, was there anything that was underlining that just kept being on a repetitive theme? Like when you would go you know, were you the type of social worker that had to go to everyone's house and do all the checks? Like what, how was that like for you? Cause you know, social workers get a bad rep. Um, there's so many court cases out that are out now that talks about the neglect, the things that weren't seen and things that, you know, weren't noticed when a social worker went to a house, what was your life like when you were doing it? Like that had, was that very, you know, hard? Like, what was that like? Well, it, it, it was hard. I was um, uh, back in the eighties before social work be became as, as much of a profession licensed profession as it is now. And before quite so much was expected of us, um, we, we didn't have to um, second guess everything or, or do the investigative work that social workers have to do now. And um we didn't have as much power as um, social workers have now. I had quite a bit of power. I, I could, I could do a lot with kids and, and um, but, but still not, not quite as much power as we have now. I will say one thing that um, has remained consistent is it is hard to get enough training for the situations that you face because they're just so incredibly varied. There's an infinite number of combinations of facts and details on the ground. And there are things that you just, you just don't learn except through experience. Okay. Um, and, and the problem for most agencies is that the pay is so low, people don't stay there long enough to make that experience worthwhile. Uh, I mean, sorry, work for them. And right. so there's just constant turnover and you constantly are getting younger people come in. You have people like me who burn out after four years or um, my colleagues who got better offers or who moved into administration. And it, it's unlike any other profession in that it is very hard to keep experienced people um, in the field. That actually does make sense though, when you consider 
the gamut of things that are, like you said, you're having different factors that you go into a scene and you're weighing those factors out as what is the right thing to do, what's the wrong thing to do. Um, I can't even imagine having to deal with that. I, I'm, that's no, I know that's not my feel. So I probably would be one of the ones that will come in and then be ready to leave after a certain <laughs> amount of time, because, you know, that is not, it's not a gift that everybody possesses to be a social worker because it's, it's dealing with humanity and that's, you can't really, you could get a training, but you can't put all the training on every part of it. So then there's judgment yeah. calls that have to be made. And I, I don't want to be a part of that. <laughs> I just, right. Right. I want to be a part and- of doing that somebody somewhere is going to be second guessing those judgment calls there's going to be a supervisor there's going to be a newspaper there's going to be uh, thank god i wasn't doing mine during social media i'm about there's to say community. social media now <laughs> is not what you need because it is uh, a lot yes yes you know i've i was just watching just just in preparation i was just watching just different things about um again they will air a social worker out now where you didn't have to worry about that. Um, even foster care uh, parents, they, it, this, it's really rough and it's a lot of, um, I don't know if I wanna call it, I don't even know what the word is that I wanna call it, but it's, it's a lot where, again, you can have somebody that will say, you didn't do it right and you didn't do this and then you didn't do that. And then now everybody is like, you know, having to almost protect the social worker because once their identity goes out, that's it. Yes, yes. That's the yeah. end of that. And that's what's going on a lot more often now. Yep. It, it, that and, and as soon as things hit the news, you've got all sorts of people second guessing everyone who was involved in it. Yeah. And everybody and, goes down. Everybody. Yeah, and, and all sorts of opinions on based on two facts, maybe right. three. Right. It's not, it's not everything is reported. So you can only go by what, what you know, or what's right. putting on, I should say. What is what? So you, you, you're, you've got this a wonderful book. You've raised your, your kids. You're doing everything that you're doing to try to encourage and empower. What are the things that you do for yourself that involves self-care? I always like to bring that up. What are the things that you love to do that helps you with your self-care and mental wellness? Well, right now, um, my husband and I are, we're taking a break and we're enjoying it. Um, And so I would say um, time to to work on and solidify my marriage was probably the most important thing for me, because um, I I will say this is important, too, for my kids sake. They um, even in in children of divorce with, with that normal level of trauma, if you will, they, um, the one thing they need to see more than anything else is they need to see how you keep relationships together. And so um, I know it is hard to find time when you've, when it, when you've got a lot of people to take care of and a lot of kids who need you and a lot of demands, but um, that level of self-care, just uh, going out to eat with my husband. Now um, all of our kids are adults, so we can, I can leave them behind and go off for the weekend. Yes. <laughs> I look forward it, it, to that day. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, that is the other thing I would say um, is develop a safety network or I mean, a, a safety net, um, a network of people who can help out, um, of, of people who can, can keep your kids for an afternoon. while you go to the library or while you go get your nails done or something. 
um, and developing that safety. And I did that when I was a single parent and it, it was what kept me sane was being able to depend on my friends um, and my family. Although at that point in time, my family lived uh, a state away. So, so I had to depend a lot more on my friends who were in the same town. And having that network of people to just help share the load with me um, was, it, it was absolutely essential. So uh, if you're single, take some time for yourself. If you're married or in a relationship, um, keep that relationship at the top of your list and, and spend time working on it and taking care of it. Yes, that is such good advice because um, I'm actually going to be celebrating my wedding anniversary, my ninth one on Monday. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. We had to learn. We were just like in parent mode, like, oh, we're just, yes. we're going to be the best parents ever. We're going to just keep going, but, you know, not devoting that much time. You know, my mom was like, look, your kids are going to grow up and they're going to yes. leave and live their lives. And you're going to be stuck with a person you don't know because you didn't cultivate this relationship. And that, that is such it. good advice. Yeah, that changes everything. What are your, um, so I know you talked about, you know, getting away with your husband and doing all those things. What is your advice? Let's say, I know you gave advice for single moms or single women. Um, what's your advice for, uh, for business-minded women? Because we have a lot of women who are trying and not even trying, but are, are out here getting degrees. They're out here, um, opening businesses or doing all of these different things that I know back when I was younger, watching my parents, my mom, um, she was doing that too, but it wasn't at the same rate. Like women right now are exploding. Um, although we have so much further to go, there are so many right. women that are out here really exploding. How do they balance all of that? What was, what would be your, um, advice for them? Well, the advice is, is I, the way I put it in my book is you have to find the balance, but it's the balance of a juggler. Um, not the balance of a tightrope walker. And that means some things take priority at some times, and then the next day something else takes priority. Right. So uh, you, you can, uh, and I know overall your, your children need to be a higher priority than your business, for example, right. but that doesn't mean that every decision your kids have to become first. Um, that is not good for you. And, and it's not good for the kids. Uh, kids right. don't need to be the center of anybody's world. Um, they, they, it, it doesn't hurt them to um, take their normal everyday concerns and park them on a shelf for a few hours until you can get to them. That, that's a, a, a very important lesson for them to learn. Right. Not everything revolves so, around them. Not everything revolves around them and not everything should revolve around them. So that's a lesson the, because we have a lot of um, entitled uh, adults that didn't yes. get that a lesson because they feel like everything has to stop right now and tend to their world. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I've had problems in my job because some of those people were my bosses <laughs> just didn't quite buy into that. But right. um, <laughs> yeah, I always figured their ego was their problem and not mine, but, um, it, it, uh, but they were my bosses. <laughs> so it did cause some problems, <laughs> but, um, but I, I think that is one of the things we just, we learn to have different things um, at the top of the list at different times. And um, not, not that it's always perfect. Sometimes, you know, when you're juggling the balls, you don't keep them all in the air, but, but that's really the balance that we need is um, 
keeping all the balls in the air at different times. So um, I, I would say when, once you learn that, um, you, you figure out, um, it, it doesn't completely solve the problem, but it helps give you a basis for, for making the decision and, and gives you principles to follow. The other thing that I found helpful was to, to just do blocks of time. And by that, yeah, I used to think I could, I could multitask, but really I can't. When I'm multitasking three things, it means I'm, I'm giving each thing one third of my attention. Right. And I, I learned to um, find, you know, there, there were, there were Friday afternoons, for example, I, I would keep completely open because that's when it's the end of the week. That's when my kids and I would um, go out to dinner and a movie. And dinner was when we would kind of discuss whatever it was we needed to discuss for the week. And so that block of time was our time to talk about things. And so during the week before then, if the kid had something that we needed to discuss, I would say, can this wait till Friday? Can this wait till our Friday meeting and our Friday dinner? Um, most of the time it could, whenever, as long as it was going to be on the agenda, the, the kid was fine with, with right. waiting. Um, if I said, I don't have time now, that's kind of open-ended and doesn't really tell them anything. They don't know? understand what that means. Right. They, they have no idea. They don't have any context. But when I said, can this wait till Friday, that, that gave them a, a, a time frame. And so then, you know, the, the, the times that, that um, they were visiting friends, for example, uh, were the two or three hours that I could do something else. Um, and, and then there are times that, that I would make the kids participate. Um, I, I always made the kids go with me to buy groceries. I hated buying groceries. They hated buying groceries. But as I always said, if you're going to eat it, you got to help me carry the groceries and you got to spend the time it takes to learn how to buy groceries. Right. And so um, there were just things that we did together and then things that, that we did separately. This is another reason that, that uh, older kids work better with me. They, they like their alone time and I'm happy to give it to them. <laughs> so, right. you know, when, when teenagers become the cave dwelling mammals that they become in those years, then that was fine. I, I had my alone time to sit and work on whatever project I needed to work on. So it was, um, again, just finding blocks of time that I, I could say to the kid, this is your time. And it's not quality time, because I, I think that sometimes that's kind of a substitute for, for doing things halfway, but it was just dedicated time. And th that's the only way that I have ever been able to find to balance everything I've got done to do is these are the days I work on my job. These are the days I work on my book. These are the days I work on my blog. And those times are dedicated to whatever those tasks are. That makes sense. Well, I want to thank you for one, being here and bringing your book, um, taking care of other people's children. And we are going to link all of that in the show notes, as well as all of the pages to find you. Um, and want to make sure that people understand the book is, a, you know, ready to go. We want you to get it. Um, and we want you to, again, follow, follow her on Facebook, Twitter. She's everywhere. She has her blog. Get in, 
just tap into everything. We will link everything because, you know, everyone likes that the clickable. They like to click. Yes. Thank so you. we will make sure everything is completely clickable so that you can find Debbie and make sure that you get all the information, especially if, again, this is a resource for you. If you're thinking about um, becoming a foster parent or if you're just in a situation where you may become a step parent, I think the best way to prepare is to not go into something blind. And do this before, if you're dating somebody who has a child, <laughs> even if you're not getting married, this would be a checklist for you to just make sure you're ready and prepare for the lifestyle that you are about to possibly walk yourself into. Um, yes. I never believe in people doing things and waiting until afterwards and then saying, oh yeah, we're here now. Like really think about this because this is serious when you're taking on other people's children um, and treating them as your own. And there are things that are going to come up that you may want to be fully prepared for, or at least attempt to be fully prepared for. So we will have everything available for you in the show notes. Um, Debbie, thank you so much for coming on our show, talking, bringing the book, as well as just giving us insight on raising other people's children, because it's not gift. It's not, a, it's not given for everybody to do it. Not everybody is, is, does it well. And that's why there's always the step parents from you know where that we uh, hate to talk about, but they yes. do exist. And um, but we want to make sure everybody can go into situations really where there's an extension of love. There really should be an extension of love, an extension of a different lifestyle, and that it should really try to as much as possible blend um, when it can, so that it doesn't make it such a traumatic situation for everyone, not just the parents or just the kids, but the parents as well. Thank you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank you as always for joining me. And I know that even in the deepest or joyful conversations, that there's something we can learn and apply. Until next time, I hope that you are doing better. If not, we will be back to talk some more and handle it. Peace to you and yours. Stay grounded.